Here's the dilemma. For those of you who don't have a DVR, if you have a DVR at home and you watch football, this is meaningless because nowadays you can just push the record button and watch stuff whenever you whenever you want to. But for those of you who don't, the dilemma today was football or the marriage supper of the lamb. That's a pretty easy choice if you ask me. But maybe, maybe not. Now, um, obviously, um, we're uh, we're going to be in Revelation 19, and there is nothing wrong with enjoying uh, recreation and football and and those kind of things. But I am so thankful and excited for uh, for Revelation 19. We're just going to open the gate tonight, and then what flows from that is the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the second coming of the Lord Jesus, and then um, the the final battle, uh, and, you know, we we have one period uh, in Revelation left that, that's pretty ominous. It's the great white throne judgment, and so that is obviously just, you know, just teeth rattling, uh, Fearful for those who don't know Christ, but really the rest of the book is uh, is glory and good and uh, and uh, we've been we have been slugging through um, just judgment after judgment after judgment, and now uh, we get to what we're all what we're all looking for, and so we'll start Revelation 19 tonight. But before before we do, um, we are, I'm going to pray. We're going to take up the offering, so I won't forget tonight. Stephen has to bail me out again. Um, But before I even do that, today I hear a little birdie told me that it is Brother Jim Van Eaton's 85th birthday today. Amen. And for those of you who do do not know Brother Jim well... uh, you are you are missing out. I want to be like that brother when I grow up. Um, and while we're talking about birthdays, on Friday was Pastor Clay's birthday on the first. Yeah. And uh, there's another birthday over here. Who's this? Oh, I see someone hiding. Ten years old. Wow, 10 years old. And uh, Olivia and Nathan was the same day as Clay's uh, on the on the first. So we just got all kinds of birthdays, uh, all kinds of birthdays going on. Mark Henry? Man, did everybody get, everybody's born on the same day? Uh, anybody else? Uh, any other birthdays? Uh, well, praise, <laughs> praise the Lord. Um so let me open us in a word of prayer. Stephen's going to lead us in some congregational singing, uh, but we'll take up our offering for our, uh, uh, for our church family. Father, we do praise you for laughter. Praise you for all the emotions that you have given us. You, Lord, we laugh. We, we, we are sad. We, we have righteous indignation. All of these things come because we were created in your image. We don't always exercise them properly because we're we're in a fallen state. But I thank you for for joy um, and being able to gather and laugh with God's people. I also thank you for um, for not only first births but second births, most of all, the fact that we can be born again through the Lord. And thank you for the opportunity to sing and to hear your word tonight. Um, help me to make it clear. Uh, Set a guard before my mouth, nothing unhelpful, obviously nothing that would be an error or would bring you dishonor in any way. Oh, God, please know. Um, may you grant the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Do what uh, no man can do, and that's open eyes of heart and uh, convict, convince, um, and uh, encourage and we just love you. We thank you, and we look forward to you coming again, your kingdom, and being with you forever and ever and ever. And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Well, as we prepare to read and study about the marriage supper of the Lamb, these songs should stir your heart to see how we are His forever, um, that all I have is Christ and I will glory in my Redeemer. And the first three verses of our first song, His Forever, say the same thing, Jesus, friend of sinners. Are you thankful for that tonight? Let's sing together, His Forever. Let's stand. Jesus, friend of sinners, loved me ere I knew him, drew me with his cords of love, tightly bound me to him, round my heart still closely twined, the ties that none can sever, for I am his and he is mine. friend of sinners, a crown of thorns you wore for me, bruised for my transgressions, pierced for my iniquities, the wrath of God that I deserve was poured out on the innocent, he took my place, my soul to save. I am his forever. Jesus, friend of sinners, I love to tell the story. Redeeming love has been my theme and will be when in glory. Not death, nor life, nor your hope tonight as you rest in his forever love. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. Yes, in that promise, joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place, you bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone. So all 
might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me oh father use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is you eternity glorying in our redeemer let's sing three verses of this song the lamb who is our righteousness our feet are firm held by his grace and his face forever to behold i will glory in my redeemer whose priceless blood has ransomed me Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails that hung him on that judgment tree. And I will glory in my Redeemer who crushed the power of sin and death. My only Savior before the Holy Judge, the Lamb who my righteousness, the Lamb who is my righteousness. I will glory in my Redeemer, my life He bought, my love He owns. I have no longings for another. Satisfied in Him alone. I will glory in my Redeemer, His faithfulness, my standing place. Though foes are mighty and rush upon me, my feet are firm held by His grace. My feet are firm held by His grace. Last verse together. Sing it out, church. I will glory in my Redeemer who carries me on eagle's wings. He crowns my life with loving kindness. His triumph song I'll Well, open your Bibles to Revelation 19 tonight. Revelation 19. I am always intrigued and amazed and encouraged how the Lord weaves things together. We are at right at the juncture of Mark 13 and right at this same place in Revelation 18 and 19 and coming and they're both both converging together on the same the same topic, and um, this is uh, this is an exciting chapter. 
we've been walking through this, uh, this great book line by line, and we finally come to what we've been looking for, the glorious return of our Lord. Um, and uh, I think you, you have to study all of Revelation. Of course, you can obviously preach a message from Revelation 19 or, or 20 or, or 21 or beyond, but, but you study the entire book because the book promises a blessing. We're commanded to do that, and, and we're told there is great reward. There's blessing for those who, who pay attention to heed this book. I also think it's, it's helpful because the, the, we've walked through all of these judgments, and, uh, and that's like the rain, and it, it makes you thankful for the sunshine, doesn't it? We've seen the great vision of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. Uh, where John, whenever he sees the Lord, he he falls like a dead man. He's he's stunned. He goes face first before before Christ, and that's that will be the the proper the proper posture and response. We heard the message that Jesus gives to the seven churches of John's day in chapter two and chapter three. Chapter 4, we were transported into the very throne room of God, and we watched the transfer deed of the, of the title deed of the universe, this scroll, this judgment scroll, that Jesus then begins to unfurl and break the seals. In the next ten chapters, we've, we've wept, we've cringed, we've, we've been stunned at what is, what is coming as, as Jesus with, with, with each turn of the scroll, each opening of the wax uh, seal, it, it unleashes the just judgment of God on the, on the earth. And, and, and at times it's heavy. I mean, it's just, it's so heavy that, that revelation itself, God in, in structuring the book, uh, gives us respites. There's breaks because I, you just can't, you can't contain it all. I don't know about you, but, but when I think about hell, when I think about eternal torment, um, I, 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 have my, I find my mind almost attempts to disengage. I have to force myself to, to think about the eternal reality of, of the damned, of people that, that don't know Christ, because it is so grieving, it's so overwhelming, that, that, that the, the, the human mind, the finite mind, just, just, just can't take but, but, so, but so much of it. And you find this in, in Revelation, the the breaking of the seven seals and then the seven trumpets contained in the seventh seal. And then and we just observe the absolute devastation and it, it's so hard to take in. God gives us these respites for John and also for us as future uh, readers. And at the end, we, we see the, the seven vials or bowls of, of God's undiluted wrath poured out one by one both in big picture and then in detail. And that's what we just came through. Uh, Revelation chapter 17 and 18 is the detailed destruction of the Antichrist kingdom, uh, the destruction of his spiritual kingdom and the destruction of his economic or uh, material political kingdom. And so 17 and 18 kind of zooms in on on both of those. And And now, at this stage, the armies of the world are gathered and the seventh bowl has been has been poured out, and the only thing that remains is the is the coming of Christ, and then the final battle, if you want to call it that. And and that's where we're at. So let's read these glorious words in Revelation 19, and then and then take a look at them. Verse one of Revelation 19. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, "Hallelujah." Salvation and glory and power, honor, belong to our God, because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders, which we've seen before, and the four living creatures, fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. And then I heard something like a voice of a great multitude and 
like the sound of many waters and like the sound of many of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her the, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words, these true words, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no man knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe... And on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, All the birds which fly in the midst of heaven come and assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and flesh of commanders and flesh of mighty men and flesh of horses and of those who sat on them, flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast... The kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Wow. What a vision. What a scene. What a God. Now, we are only going to focus on the first ten verses tonight. And we're not even going to get through all of those. We're just going to open the door. And chapter 19 has already been introduced. It is chapter nine, uh, 19, verses 1 through 10, is actually a response to the invitation to rejoice back in chapter 18. Look at chapter 18 and verse, verse 20. It says in verse 20 of chapter 18, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And while the earth is crying, woe, woe, over the destruction of the Antichrist empire, you can see that in verse 19, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, verse 19 of, of chapter 18, the verse right before, rejoice over her, O heaven, it says, woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships and sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. They're, they're mourning, they're weeping, and they're mourning, they're crying, woe of the destruction of the Antichrist empire. Heaven is called to rejoice over its judgment. Do you see that? Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for her, uh, for you, against her. And chapter 19 begins that response. The scene transports us to heaven... For the next ten verses, this is the last of seven visions of heaven that we get in, in Revelation. And it's the last thing before the, before the coming of the Lord. All of history builds up to, to this moment. Romans tells us that the earth groans under the curse, travailing, waiting for this day that, that we're, we're about to see. The saints watch and wait 
for that event. We, we've been hearing that in Mark 13. Paul warned those on Mars Hill about this day. Listen to Acts 17, 30 through 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he fixed a day. He has fixed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. God has appointed a day and that that day is about is about to come. Everything all of history, all of the world, the angels in heaven, Satan, the demons, everyone, all of their eyes are pointed toward this, this day. And when the Lord comes, He'll take back the earth from the usurper Satan, He'll judge all rebels, and then He'll set up His kingdom on earth and He'll rule and reign. And that's what we just read in chapter 19. And the first eight verses contain four hallelujahs from different groups of people in heaven. Verse 20 says, Rejoice, O heaven, and heaven rejoices with four hallelujahs. Hence the title, the, the hallelujah of, of heaven. Look at verse 1. Here's the first hallelujah. After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Look at verse 3. Here's the second hallelujah. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rose, arises up forever and ever. Look at verse 4. Here's the third Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And the voice, voice came from the throne. And then the final one is at the end of verse 6. Look at the end of verse 6. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Now, the word hallelujah is a familiar uh, phrase or a familiar word, I should say, to us. And it's a, we say it all the time. It's a, it's a Hebrew word that, you know, means praise the Lord. But did you realize this is the first time in the New Testament this word is used? Did you realize that? The first time in the New Testament the word hallelujah is used, it's used in Revelation 19... And it's used four times from heaven. Four times from each group, they sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And it's saved for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's fitting, isn't it? Let's look at this chorus in heaven and see why they're singing and what they're, they're singing about. There are four Hallelujahs of heaven. And the first one is given for God's deliverance of the... Of the saints. Look, if you would, at verses 1 and 2. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in, in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Why? Because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and He has avenged the blood of His bondservants. On her. Now, I'm going to take it easy on you tonight. Some of you said you had like a page of notes, both front and back from the sermon this morning. So you only have four points tonight. So I'll give Ashton's fingers a break. He is the one that said that to me. The hallelujah is for God's deliverance of the, of the saints. And this is praise that's going on in heaven. And this has been going on in heaven for a while. What was going on in heaven even before the seals are broken is ceaseless worship. I want you to turn back to Revelation chapter 4. Let's look back at the first scene that we get of this worship that goes on in heaven and compare a little bit, see what we can learn. Revelation chapter 4. Chapter 4 and 5 is, a, is another, one of the, one of the seven glimpses into heaven, into the throne room of God. And chapter 4 and 5 describe the elders and the four creatures bowing before the Lamb. And we see the picture of Jesus taking the scroll and breaking the seals, and He unleashes the judgments. Look at verse 8 of Revelation chapter 4. And it says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And listen. 
day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. They do not cease to say this. Day and night. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, ceaseless from the beginning up until now. They're doing that this very moment in, in heaven. Look, if you would, at verse 10 of Revelation 4. The 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, more worship, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So the four creatures do not cease to say, the 24 elders are falling down, and they're giving God praise. And look at chapter 5, verse 8. Look at the worship of Christ, the worship of, of the Lamb. Look at verse 8 of Revelation 5. And when he had taken the book, that's Christ, when he had taken the scroll from the Father, the four living creatures that we just heard praising and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Here's one of the passages that clearly shows the deity of Jesus Christ. He is not... Lucifer's brother, he is not a prophet, he is God of very God, or this worship would be blasphemous, and it's going on in the very presence of God Almighty. It's very clear that Jesus is God. The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang in worship. They sang a new song, saying... Worthy are you to take the book, take the scroll, and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. There's an earthly kingdom that's coming. So that's what's going on before Jesus unleashes the judgments on the earth. Worship in heaven before he ever takes the scroll. Worship when he receives the scroll. And then we watch what happens whenever the scroll is, is unfurled. Now, now go back to Revelation 19. Because now the judgments have been poured out. The scroll is completely unfurled. And now we go back to heaven and we see what's going on after the judgments. After they've ended. After... They've ended right before his, his coming. And it's still praise and honor and glory, worship to the one who is on the throne. But they add something. They add the hallelujah. They added praise, specific praise. And what is getting ready to come is the reign of Christ and his righteousness and his justice and his peace and Wrongs will be righted and sin restrained and death suspended and the saints vindicated. That's the first thing that they, they give praise for. It's unceasing praise. The praise doesn't cease whenever, whenever God pours out the judgment. In fact, the praise increases and the praise is given specifically for the judgment. You see that? Look at the, look at verse two. Why are they saying hallelujah? Because his judgments are true and righteous and he has judged. So even more praise, hallelujah, is added after the judgments. And heaven has been anticipating this day since before creation. They were singing, worthy is the Lamb, in chapter 4, and now they're singing the hallelujah chorus after the judgments are, are poured out. And it's, been sung by, it's being sung by a great multitude in heaven. Who's singing this, this first chorus? Look at verse 1. After these things, I heard... Something like a loud voice of a great multitude. Literally, much people. And we can identify the group by, by what they give praise for. These are not angels. These are individuals. It's a multitude of people in heaven. So who is it? Well, 
I think that you can clearly tell who it is by what they're praising him for. Verse 2, it says, Because the judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And I think that's very key to who this, who this group is. You can identify the group by, by what they, they give praise for. These are the tribulation saints that have been martyred. He has judged the harlot corrupting the earth. Now, we saw in Revelation chapter 17, the harlot corrupting the earth is the, is the false religious system. The mother of all harlots is the harlotry, spiritual idolatry. All false religion has its, has its obviously, source in Satan. It was scattered throughout all of the earth at the Tower of Babel. That's, that, that's where, that, how they got all over the, the earth. And then they all come back together. They all come home to mother in Revelation 17 in the one world religion of the Antichrist. And then that harlot is, is judged and and the blood of the saints that that she that she kills is avenged and you saw that back in chapter 17 the world religion of the antichrist has she's drunk on the blood of the saints that's what revelation 17 says blood of the witnesses of jesus and here this system has been judged and the saints are praising god for his justice and their deliverance that's that's the praise in heaven and you say that that sounds that sounds cruel, right? I mean, is is it good for God to give praise over over judgment? Yes, it is. It's just. It's righteous. Do you not rejoice when you know someone is guilty and has perpetrated a horrible crime on a little child? Do you not rejoice in the fact that justice is served? I do. <laughs> And here heaven is rejoicing over the greatest injustice ever. The creator of all of the, all of the world, the rebels that have turned against him, the system that has actually persecuted those who would preach the gospel and they're praising. And that, that's how you know who this is. They, they were praising him for something specific though. Look back at, at verse 1. Hallelujah. So these are tribulation saints. These are ones who have been martyred, and now they're giving praise for the fact that their blood has been avenged. And they're saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belongs to, to him. They're saying some specific things about God. Now, that's interesting because in the original, these all have, they all have an article. So it's, it's not just a salvation, it's the salvation. Hallelujah, the salvation, the glory, the honor, the power belong to, to our God. Walvard said the first three terms focus on God's deliverance and the last one, his, his might. He delivers them and he judges the harlot. He, he delivers them in salvation. He delivers them unto glory. He delivers them from dishonor to honor. And he delivers them by, by his almighty, almighty power. And the judgments on Babylon are declared to be true and righteous. In verse 2, here's God's justice praised. Look at verse 2. Because His judgments are true and righteous. Listen, don't ever think that you're ever getting away with something. Um, I just heard a story this past week of a person who had lived a a duplicitous life, a double life that nobody knew about for for probably fifteen plus years, and it was it was exposed. Don't ever think that you're getting away with it just because somebody doesn't doesn't know about it. Just ask our our soon to be former governor Ralph Northam, <laughs> who won a campaign by calling the Republican who was running against racist about the Confederate statues and while he was he was moonwalking with black shoe polish on his face playing Michael Jackson. God knows all and he sees all, doesn't he? And he'll bring all things to the point of justice. First Corinthians chapter four, verse five, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, I know of nothing. I'm paraphrasing these first few verses, I know of nothing uh, against myself. I know of nothing in my own conscience. 
that, that, I need to, that I need to turn from. My conscience is clear, basically. But it's a small thing that, that you're judging me. And then he says these words. I'll wait till the end until the Lord reveals all things. The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the motives of the heart. Now think about that. The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the motives of the, of the heart. I can remember arguing with my mother to stay out late for curfew. And she would say, nothing good ever happens after dark. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that we think the cover of darkness uh, allows us to do more wicked things. As if someone can't see, but, but darkness is light to God. Now, the Lord will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness. The things that we do when no one else is looking. And He'll disclose even the motives of the heart, even the things that are done in, in, in light. Listen to Luke chapter 8, verse 17. Tremble at these words. Jesus says, For nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and anything secret that will not be brought to light. It's <laughs> pretty scary words, isn't it? Aren't they? And sometimes justice is delayed, and if it is, we're not to take matters in our own hands and try to bring about justice. We leave that to God because He can do a lot better job than, than we can. But here, God is praised for that justice. It was injustice when the martyrs died unjustly, and now justice comes, and that brings the first hallelujah. But there's a second hallelujah. There's a hallelujah for God's destruction of evil, not only His judgment, but His elimination, His permanent destruction of evil. Look, if you would, at verse 3. And a second time they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Now, this is the same group. This is not a new group. It's the same saints. Then they say, the second time, praise the Lord. But they say it for a different reason. And it's for God's permanent destruction from evil. You say, where do you, where do you see that? Well, it's right there in verse 3. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. The city of Babylon was left in smoke in, in chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 18 says, And they were crying as they saw the smoke of the city Babylon burning, saying, What city was like the great city? So you've already seen some smoke rising. But now notice this smoke rises forever and ever. This is eternal smoke. This is smoke from the lake of fire. Smoke of incense before the altar... In chapter 8, verse 4, that's the prayers of God's saints. There's the smoke from God's glory that filled the temple in chapter 15, verse 9. And now smoke of eternal torment of unbelievers rising up before the presence of God. And they all remind us of God's holiness and God's justice. Now, the Bible describes heaven as a place where God is. We, we talk a lot about, you know, people wanting to go to heaven, and, and that's true, you want to go to heaven, but, but heaven's only heaven because God's there, because Christ is there. It, it, that's why you want to go there, because it's the presence of the Lord. So if, if you don't enjoy the presence of the Lord here, you're not going to enjoy heaven. If you don't enjoy the presence of God's people here, you're not going to enjoy heaven, because heaven's going to have both of them. Jesus Christ is going to be in the center, and all of the saints of God will be gathered around him. And the Bible describes hell as a place of outer darkness, uh, uh, separated from God, a place that burns with, with fire and brimstone, where the worm dieth not. Um, over and over it describes it that way. And yet, both of them remain in the 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 sphere of God, the presence of God, God can see both of them is probably the best way to say that. And throughout all eternity, there will be a reminder of God's victory over evil. 
Heaven is a reminder of God's graciousness, and hell is a reminder that God is that God is just. And the twenty-four elders agree and throw in their praise, and that's the third hallelujah. The third hallelujah is for God's divine rule. Look, if you would, at verse four. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen. And then they add their hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, and, and on and on. Now, now, this is a brand new group, isn't it? You have the saints, the martyred saints, who, who say, Praise the Lord for His deliverance, His justice. There's hallelujah for the destruction of evil permanently. Like right now, uh, church is a wonderful place to be, isn't it? It's a wonderful place to be. We call it a, we call it a sanctuary. And, and, and we don't mean the, the building per se, even though that's the term we use. It's a, it's a sanctuary for the world, uh, from the world. It's a, it's a place where the saints of God gather. Have, have you ever had the experience you go out into the world, you, you're working in a job, in a workplace, and, and you're just around a lot of unbelievers, and, and you're trying to keep a good testimony, you're trying to witness to them, but it's just really, really hard. And then you come to church, and there's just this feeling. God's people are singing. The Word is being preached. It's just like, oh, these are my people. Have you ever felt that? Amen. It's a wonderful feeling. And yet, then you have to go back out into the world. And, and that's, the, that's purposeful. Jesus said, I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm leaving you in the world. You're not to be of the world, but you're to witness to the world. That's why, that's why we're here. Can you imagine what it's going to feel like when all evil has been removed? I mean, it's, it's going to be cast into the lake of fire, and you're not going to go from the, from the presence of God's people to, to the wicked world. You're not even going to have to deal with the wickedness in your own heart. <laughs> Won't that be wonderful? And so they're praising God for the destruction of evil, the permanent destruction of of evil, what began in the garden with the fall will be done away with, and the Bible will end better than it began. It began with a perfect God and perfect man in a perfect place, without devil, without the devil, and without sin. And it'll end with a perfect God and a perfect people in a perfect place, without the devil and without sin. But we will be redeemed, and so we'll know how to give praise to the Lamb for the fall and for for our salvation. And the 24 elders agree that it's good. And they also agree that it's good that God rules and reigns. And so they give a hallelujah for God's divine rule. The 24 elders and the living creatures are the new group. And we've seen them before. We read it back in chapter 4 and, and chapter, chapter 5. Who are the four creatures and the 24 elders? Well, the four creatures are the... The cherubim and the seraphim of God, uh, it's a holy order of, of angels. And if, if you want all that blown out in detail, you go back and get Revelation chapter 4 and 5. They guard the glory of, of God. They're, they're very close to, the, close to the throne. And Revelation chapter 4 says they have, they have eyes, uh, they're full of eyes. It doesn't mean that they're omniscient, but it means that they have a, they, it represents awareness. There's a comprehensive knowledge. They're, they they, they, they can see things. They're, nothing escapes their gaze. They're the protectors of God's glory. Nothing escapes their scrutiny. And then there's the 24 elders. And there's a lot of discussion about who's the 20, who, the, who are the 24 elders. And again, we went over this in chapter 4 and well. But there's no mistake about what they do in heaven. Chapter 4 says they sing in response to the, to the angelic worship leaders. So they respond to the four creatures. The four creatures start, and then the 24 elders cast their crowns, and then they, they chime in. So the four angels are like the praise team, and then the people follow, the 24 elders, and they cry worthy to the Lamb. There are three common answers for who these, these 24 people are, these 24 elders. Some say they're 24 Old Testament priests representing the order of the Levitical priesthood. 
from the from the temple in First Chronicles chapter twenty four. Some say they're angels. I don't know why you would think that, but some do. And then others, like me, they they represent the church. And I think the key to that lies in their in their attire. And I won't make you turn back there, but it, but if you want to read, you can go back to chapter four, and the elders are described in, in a white garment, and they're described wearing a victor's crown. And while angels do appear in white, a white garment is attributed to the righteousness believers are to close themselves with. That, that's the, the, the fourth hallelujah is going to be about how the church, the, the bride of the Lamb, has made herself ready. Look, if you would, at verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the, of the saints. These 24 elders are in these white garments, these white robes in, in heaven. And Jesus just told the Laodiceans in, in, in chapter 2 and 3 to buy from me a white garment that you might cover your spiritual nakedness. They, they wear a white robe and then they wear a crown. And that crown's not a diadem. We sing... You know, all hail the power of Jesus' name. And the, the diadem that, that he will have, the crown that they wear, the 24 elders, is not a diadem. It's a, it's a stephanos. It's a, it's a wreath that's given to those who competed and won a victory. And so here you have righteous robes, righteous deeds, and you have a crown that represents competing and winning a victory, striving for a victory. And Jesus promised the crown to loyal believers in Smyrna. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And I think the number 24 comes from the priesthood serving in the heavenly temple. The, the temple on earth represented the one in heaven, as, as Hebrews tells us, and these are saints that represent the totality of God's plan of redemption. And having overcome, being made righteous, they're serving in the very presence of, of God. And both of these groups add their affirmation to what the martyred saints say, and they say, Amen. They say, I agree. That's what you mean when you say, Amen. I agree. I agree. I agree that it's, it's, it's praise the Lord for the deliverance of the saints. I agree it's praise the Lord for the destruction of evil. His justice and deliverance is, is right. And they also say praise the Lord for His divine rule. Look at verse 5. And a voice came from the throne. Don't forget, we're getting a picture into heaven. And a voice came from the throne saying... Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants. Not just the martyred saints, not just the, the 24 elders and the four creatures, but all of His bondservants that are in heaven. Oh, we got three groups in heaven now. Interesting. You who fear Him, the small and the great. And then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude. We've already heard the voice of a great multitude, but watch how it's described it's even greater. There's a voice of a great multitude, and listen to what it sounded like. Like the sound of many waters, the deafening noise of, of like standing by Niagara Falls, like the sound of many peals of thunder. It's like a roar. It's like a, it's like a rumble that comes through heaven as this, as this even larger multitude, this even larger group says something. The martyred saints from the tribulation have spoken. The elders and the angels have spoken. Now all of heaven is called to give praise. And it is in the present tense. Keep on praising Him, is what they're saying. Don't stop. And they do. Look at verse 6. I heard. And there's the multitude speaking. And look at what they are saying. Look at what they are praising Him for. Hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. It's some of the most comforting words in all of the Bible, isn't it? That God 
himself is still on the throne. I mean, when when everything else in life gives way, when your heart is moving in ten different directions, you get confused, you don't know which way to turn, you're discouraged, you're anxious, whatever it might be, what's going to become of whatever, my job, my child, my, my, my life, my, my health. When you get ominous words... The place that you always come back to, the place that a Christian always comes back to, is the fact that God is God and that He is in control and there is absolutely nothing that that is out from under His rule and His reign. Isn't that where you go? That's where I go. (laughs) I might not understand it. I might not like it. I might not enjoy it. But my God is still on the throne. And he's on the throne up to the judgment. He's on the throne through the judgment. And he is on the throne now. And they praise him because he is the Almighty who reigns. He's the Lord Almighty. What does that mean? He's omnipotent. Second time it's talked about God's strength. And he's, he reigns. He's, he's the king. He's the sovereign of the universe. And this one is about to take back his rule. <laughs> and up to this point, and even right now, God has, has been allowing usurpers to run around the earth while they shake their penny fists in God's face, while He pleads with them to be saved. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't desire that they perish. He pleads with them. He sends out preachers of the gospel. He sends out people to witness to them. And they pontificate, they explain Him away, they lead people astray. And God's allowing all of it. You look at the book of Job when Satan has to come before the very throne of God and God says, where have you been? And Satan's been running to and fro about the earth. And how is he able to do that? Because God's given him the ability, permission to do that. God's not responsible or in the sense of culpable for Satan's actions, but but God's allowing. God could have brought judgment and justice and righted things immediately whenever Adam and Eve sinned, whenever Satan tempted them. God could have brought the end to it right then, cast Satan into the lake of fire. Hell was not made for you. It was made for the devil and his angels. He could have cast him there and ended the whole thing. and start. But he didn't, did he? He allowed it to play out the way that he did. His plan of redemption... And part of that's a mystery. I don't understand it. You don't understand it. But he did that for greater glory in some way. And that's still happening this day. But he's about to take his full rule back. And he's appointed a day, as we heard in in the book of Acts, in which all rebels will be called into account, and he'll take back the earth from Satan. And this has begun in chapter 19 with all of heaven saying, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's about ready to happen. (laughs) And look who is going to be reigning with him. The fourth hallelujah is for God's devotion to his church. Verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. You know who His bride is? That's you. (laughs) And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then He said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? You have three groups in heaven saying hallelujah. You have the martyred saints. You have the 24 elders and the angels. You have all of the rest of heaven. We haven't identified who that is yet. And now you have the Lamb's bride. And then you have people who are invited to the Lamb's bride. I'll never forget severely offending my grandfather... Um, and my uncle. He is with the Lord now. And I offended him with, with this verse. I had no idea I was, I was doing it. I had just got done 
My, my other grandfather, my dad's dad, loved B.R. Lakin. And he liked B.R. Lakin because B.R. Lakin is from West Virginia. Did you know that? And he used to ride his mule from preaching station to preaching station, and he would stop with his mule in his saddlebags at my grandmother's house, and she would feed him Sunday lunch or dinner whenever he would come through. And so when my grandfather got saved at 60-some years of age, he, he liked Brother Lakin, and he liked his, his simple, pithy statements. Let me show you something, he would say on a regular basis. And I can remember listening to a message. I, in fact, I still have uh, my grandfather's records, the big ones, not the little itty-bitty ones, the big ones. What are those, 78s or are those... Huh? 33s. Okay, the 78s are the little ones. These are 33s. I have nothing to play it on, but, but I have them. And they're sermons of B.R. Lakin. And I can remember him saying... Some of you ask me, Brother Lakin, who's going to be in heaven? He says, well, I have my doubts about those Methodists. And he says, I also have my doubt about those Presbyterians. And he said, while I'm at it, he said, I have my doubts about those Baptists too. He said, Brother Lakin, then who's going to be in heaven? He said, I'll tell you who's going to be in heaven. It's going to be a whole bunch of sinners saved by grace. But he said, let me tell you this. If you think that the only ones that are going to heaven is is your little goat pen, the bride of Christ is going to be a slender maiden. That's what he said. And there are actually people who believe that their church is the only church that's going to heaven. Now, that's not an excuse not to be careful with the gospel and not to be careful with doctrine. You must know what the Bible teaches about secondary things. They're the fundamentals of the faith. They're, they're the things that you must believe to be saved that is what's called orthodoxy. You believe this, and it's right. You believe this, and it's part of the objective truth, the body of truth that you must believe and embrace in order to go to heaven. To not believe those things is heresy. Denying the deity of Christ, you'll not go to heaven. That's heresy. Denying salvation by faith alone, that's, that will damn you. That, that's heresy. Okay? Mode of baptism is not heresy. It's a secondary thing. It's important. It's taught in the Bible. You have a conviction about it. We can go to the Scriptures and look at it. But if you believe in sprinkling rather than immersion, you might be dry. And when you get to heaven, the Lord might have said you should have went under, but you're still going to get into heaven, right? And there are actually people that believe that they're the only ones that are going to heaven. So I'm not saying that's an excuse not to be careful or have conviction. But we're not the only ones that are going to heaven. Who's going to heaven are those who embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was riding home from church with my grandfather and my uncle, and they are um, German Baptists, and they are what's called Baptist Bride meaning that the only ones that are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb are Baptists. And I remember, I didn't even know what I was doing, I quoted what B.R. Lakin said, and I said, if you think you're the only ones going to heaven, the bride of Christ is going to be a slender maiden, and it just got really, really quiet in the car. And even this day I regret that, because I wouldn't want to dishonor my grandfather at all, but, but as honorable as he was, he, he was wrong. Here praise comes because there is a bride, which is the church, and there will be people invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be a number of people in heaven, not just those who come through the church, but the celebration at this point will be about Christ and His church. That will rejoice and be glad and give glory and we'll see this wonderful wedding feast whenever we come next week, Lord willing. Right now, we get to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, not literally, but in our hearts, until Jesus comes, because He's worthy to sit on the throne, isn't He? He's worthy to be praised, isn't He? He's worthy to be served. 
He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be believed. And he's worthy to tell others about him, isn't he? You have the greatest news there ever was and there ever will be. And you get an opportunity to bring Jesus glory by sharing it with others. Maybe you do that tonight. Maybe you do that this week. If the Lord tarries, we'll come back and look at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Won't you bow your heads? Oh, Father, I thank you for this church. And I thank you for our tenacious love for the truth. Father, I will not move. We will not move. I pray that you would keep us from moving one inch from the ever-living Word of God. But Lord, we recognize that we're not the only ones that you've sent out into the world to witness. And so we praise you for your work going on all over the world whether it's a Timberlake Baptist Church or whether it's, it's another in Lynchburg or somewhere else. Um, and we long and look forward to the, the, the great gathering of all of the redeemed where we'll sing the new song together and we'll focus on, on the Lamb. And Father, we're looking forward to the day in which you'll, you'll send the Son and the Son will call the church and, and we'll, we'll take place in this great marriage supper, this great celebration. And in the verses we read tonight, it, it tells us that, that we have a part in that. We're to make ourselves ready for that day. Righteous acts. We're to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We're to wash our wives with the Word. We're, we're, we're to flee the defilements. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Help us to be faithful in doing that until you come. And um, help us to share Jesus with somebody this week. And Lord, all of our hearts say even tonight, even so, come Lord Jesus. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.